0: Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 41 of Inside Agriturf. Now it was recently announced that the two trade associations, one representing manufacturers in the agriturf machinery industry, uh, the other the sales and service dealers had come together as one. Actually it was more nuanced than that. The Agricultural Engineers Association, AEA, the manufacturer's representative body, has bought The Dealer Trade Association, BAGMA, British Agricultural and Garden Machinery Association. Now both organisations have often worked closely together to represent the industry as a whole in the corridors of power and none more so than during the past year or so as the pandemic impacted on all businesses. Interestingly, whilst there has been much to occupy people's minds during these summer months, uh, there's obviously been a lot of sport on, uh, there's been a very muted response, at least in public forums. So someone who can provide an authoritative retrospective and indeed a considered perspective on the issues that this coming together may face is Jonathan Swift. Jonathan was director-general of BAGMA for 13 years in the 1970s and 80s before he left to become director-general of the British Hardware Federation in 1986. Eight years later, in 1994, he was to step in to add BAGMA to the portfolio of specialist independent retailers within the BHF group after BAGMA had run into administrative and financial difficulties. Jonathan retired as BHF Director General in 2006 but retained his role as Secretary General of the International Federation of Hardware and Housewares Associations until 2011. The Birmingham-based BHF group changed its name to BIRA, the British Independent Retailers Association, in 2011. It had been home to BAGMA for 27 years until the AEA stepped in. Now, intriguingly, to add to Jonathan's insight into BAGMA is the fact that his father, Dean Swift, was Director General of the AEA during the time that Jonathan was running BAGMA. So enough of the history and all these acronyms are making my head hurt. Jonathan is really good to catch up. Uh, So what was your immediate reaction on hearing the news that AEA now owned BAGMA?
1: I had a very inward laugh, but an exterior smile. I thought, oh, really? Okay, (laughs) well, mm, I wonder why. But my interest really said, I suppose something's different at BAGMA with Byra or whatever it's now called. Well, it didn't occur to me that uh, uh, that there would have been an approach from anybody like the AEA. I, 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 I thought that uh, Bagma had a fairly substantial bit of equity as the original property at at Rickman Street at Rickmansworth. Street Rickmansworth. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we we sold that for a lot of money for. It was sold for a lot of money, and uh, that formed the basis of which we were able to buy um, some some substantial property in Edgbaston.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: So exactly what – I bet you Bagma had got it on the books at four quid because <laughs> that's what I paid for it.
0: Oh, I see. Oh,
1: excellent. When it it was sold, I think it was £75,000. Yes. That was a long time later.
0: Absolutely. And, of course, it had been extended with the addition of the renovation of the old forge behind there and as a meeting room and and so on. Do you you happen to know what it's used for now?
1: Yes, it's all residential. Is it? Yes, every bit of it. I think there's um, the, 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 the original house. What, what, what i call the um the lean-to and the president's flat above it <laughs> and the, the the area occupied by norman stuckey and palmer these these are all flats and the and the, and the forge is a bungalow a very fine bungalow oh excellent there's, there's almost no garden around any of it which is uh understandable because it always was car parking and i think probably still is
0: well, look, uh, Jonathan. I think um, with with people of our era, they wouldn't be, and ex- would not expect us not to turn the clock back a little bit. No. Um, you, uh, you, you were Director General of BAGMA from 1973 to 1986. At which point, you then left and became, of course, Director General of the British Hardware Federation. Yeah. Now, now, at the time when you were Director General of BAGMA, uh, your father, Dean, was. Director General of the A.A. and so over the over the Sunday lunch table was there any discussion of the A.A. and uh, Bagma ever getting together?
1: Uh, yeah, yes, there was, um, but uh, it, it was rather more lighthearted than anything else. Yes, um, of, of, of course, we came from opposite sides of the what you might call the family tree, um, manufacturing was making things and dealers were selling things. But gradually, and it had already started, I don't know, probably 40, 50 years ago, that a lot of manufacturers became dealers as well or retailers. And a um, certain number of uh, dealers also made things from time to time. And so it, it became amusing to, to contemplate what would happen if we worked together. Yes, but I don't think it ever came across to me as being any approach from the AEA. So no, it was it was a family type of thing.
0: And um, but presumably there were times when you did work together,
1: um, oh, as yes. happens
0: now, of course.
1: Yes, oh yes, lots. So we 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 would have a regular meeting of the presidents of uh, AEA and BAGMA, and uh, and subsections as well from time to time, whether it was sprayers or or garden machinery. Um, the the overlap was there in, indeed um
0: t- sort of looking back and remembering you came into bagdad in in the middle of the 1970s um that was an extremely testing time economically um interest rates i think peaked at around about 17 percent uh, inflation was 24 percent ish um and we had things like the selective employment tax and That's right. uh, And so on. Uh, So these were fairly serious issues for, particularly for small companies to address. Did did that take up much of your time, trying to uh, juggle all those issues that you had at the time?
1: Well, we were not on opposite sides of the table when it came to any of those issues that you've just mentioned, because we had all exactly the same problems. The our, our, our difficulties were, as they always have been, very large publicly limited companies and very small. Private and often not limited companies, but the partnerships with which, for which I was working, were were um, were, were never stressed by these things. That that I've uh, been stressed unnecessarily by some of those uh national economic factors which, which affected everybody as far as i was concerned
0: i mean there was i think there was one issue where uh, they were going to put the uh, vat on lawnmowers double it from 12 and a half percent at that time to uh 25 percent and i think that meant um approaching uh, tame mps in parliament and trying to get some backing and i think that was overturned wasn't it from what i can Oh remember? yes
1: no I, I worked on that um, strenuously but as i say with um well I was should say with the AEA, but I think it was probably with the British Normal Manufacturers Association. Gosh, um, there was the, such a body. There was such a body. It was chaired for a good number of years by Roy Ashwell, of course. And I think it involved, um, well, I, I believe it involved Acco, Qualcast and Ransoms, and I don't know, major manufacturers. So, so we, we weren't far apart on the subject. We didn't want to see a twenty-five, you know, a, a big increase to twenty-five percent on that. And, and, and we maintained, of course, that uh, that, that, that this was um, not a luxury item. Uh, if you had to
0: sort of look back, at what what were the major wins for Bagma, or, or indeed failures? Uh, I think, from, from what I recall, the major issues at that time one was warranty, which one would have to say, over the years has been generally sorted out, mainly because of uh, uh, improved communications and 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 so on.
1: Yes, I, I think you're quite right. It was warranty and it was um, uh, it did cause a, a lot of discomfort for people. But it wasn't the most important thing because I believe that the single most irritating, difficult subject we faced was of course the uh, the, the business of uh, contracts. The major manufacturers were not keen on the idea of um, reshaping the territories, Without cost, <laughs> <And> <laughs> most of most of my members at that time felt well. You know, I don't want to hold the whole of Worcestershire and Herefordshire without the capital cities or whatever it was that was going to be removed from their franchise.
0: Yeah. And
1: as you saw, and you probably know, that um, that there, there were many attempts to change the shape of the dealer's territory, and of course there was never any compensation for doing that. Never anything in writing. Now, there were compensations, I understand, but, of course, they were always secret. And and was that one issue on which you and your, your father would have
0: been at, at odds on? And he w- was he in a difficult position and likewise yourself?
1: Um, well, I had an enormous amount of respect for my father, and I think he understood that I had a different opinion to his corporate opinion. Yes, And I am... Uh, aware to this day of some discomfort, but not between my father and I. And we mostly sort of uh, recognised and got on with the job, which was lobbying our members to the point of understanding the opposition point of view. Yes. Now, one of the things that happened, and this is still my dissatisfaction, a lot of AEA members, particularly the big franchise manufacturers, thought there was a worrying feature about BAGMA, that it was becoming too muscular. Oh. <laughs> and individuals from the AEA would tell me to, you know, just button it a bit and back off and don't worry, it'll all come all right. And I I I got patronised and uh, told just to quiet down. But, of course, when I went back to BAGMA, significant players, and I'm talking franchise holders here, they mostly said... You keep going, don't you? Off bit. <laughs> keep on putting the boot in. Which is quite
0: right, of course. I mean And that was my job. Exactly. They're paying um, your wages.
1: I, I, I had no worry. I thought it was pretty disgusting actually to work hard, develop a territory, and then find somebody wanted to divide it in half.
0: Yes because they'd yeah. find
1: somebody else who could probably do a bit better for them, which is yes. always a possibility, of course.
0: Were, were there was sort of difficulty in balancing the different factions within BAGMA, uh, which which still exist, of course, because you've got the big dealers getting bigger now um, and quite a sizable rump of small independents, mainly garden machinery dealers? Was, was that always the case?
1: No, I don't think it was. I I, I seldom had difficulties between what you might call the factions, the big or the small, if that's the best expression. I think the the smallest dealers loved meeting with the big ones because they learnt so much from them about how they were running a big company. And the big dealers, uh, never mind, I won't quote names, but some of the big dealers learnt all sorts of little tricks from small firms that they hadn't thought about or didn't realise would be practical. I, I would say there were no significant factions between either dealers, agricultural dealers, or garden machinery dealers, big dealers or small dealers. I don't think there was. I think there were some irritations, of course. You know, people who uh, poached each other's territories, and yes. but but you know that that was life, and that was fairly fairly obvious. I think yeah amongst, yeah amongst a, and, a lot and, of franchise holders.
0: Is that one of the differences, do you think, today, Jonathan, that back in the day, if I might use that horrible phrase, it, trade associations were a mixture of business and social, almost in, in equal measure. The events, the socials, the conferences were major highlights of the year, and, and they just don't happen in such a way today. And presumably that's, that has its negative effects as well.
1: Very much so, and and I I think it's the disappointment actually, not not just losing out on some fun and some high times, but I I, I really do think that by getting people together when uh, they're relaxed and prepared to listen and enjoy themselves and have a drink and uh, maybe meet people they wish they'd met 10 years ago, that, that was the lifeblood of the organization as far as I was concerned. And I, I, I really do think that uh, there was a lot to learn at events. What happened, unfortunately, is because as they got successful, and we invited manufacturers to participate, manufacturers and AEA members, if you like, but just to make it a bit more exclusive, um, they arranged their own functions, and then said to their dealers, "Oh, well, you've got to come to ours," yes. <laughs> because if you're a wise Franchise holder, you did pretty much what um, the big boys said. Sure, and that that tended to dilute what we were doing. And some of them, of course, chose not to invest in our conferences because they would rather go to their own. Well, we we do live in a different era now. Okay. Um, when you when
0: you left Bagma to go to the BHF, and and you swapped the concerns of of tractor dealers. And uh, guard machinery dealers, with that of of hardware shops and so on, were there many differences between the issues uh, faced by uh, BHF members compared with those faced by Bagma members?
1: That, that there were none that I thought were important, and none that certainly uh, persuaded me that it was time to move or something. And I I see a lot of difference between dealerships and retail shops or. Even re- retail online business now, but I, I, I saw opportunities which I, uh, I I felt I could develop. yeah one, one of those things was that retail was changing, and that uh, uh, the diversification w- w- became obvious when uh, I, in due course, I was able to um, set up a, a cook shop housewares association, a, a pet shop owners uh, association wallpaper and paint uh, retailers, and, of course, along came BAGMA. Yes. And um, it it, it dovetailed well with what we were doing. Um, Many of the services, and this is one of the big differences between the AEA and BAGMA, or I see it as a big difference, we were supplying a range of services uh, beyond the representation level of government and working with manufacturers, but we provide them with services, uh, legal services, health and safety uh, services, personnel matters, uh, insurance, finance. I mean, there, there's a raft of things there that, uh, that made Bagma work for its members and in relation to an annual subscription um, was infinitely more important to them.
0: So it, you were able to easily quantify that and, and indeed put a value on it. Absolutely. Quite quite easily. Oh,
1: and, and, of course, that that's one of the distinctions, which I think perhaps you mentioned somewhere else about, you know, did we work for the whole industry or did we just work for dealers and manufacturers? And in general terms, the tr- the latter is the truth. But, of course, there were advantages to people who weren't BAGMA members, but well, they didn't get hold of those uh, commercial services that we provided, uh, like, like a Personnel advisory service and financial things, our clearing house, our money lending schemes—they um, all made money.
0: Yes, yeah. e-
1: even even publishing, I might say, how, how, <laughs> hard as that was. Yes, to, uh, work. <laughs> but we only made it successful um, in, in in good terms when when we provided the um, the BHF Direct company, which enabled us to buy. And have shipped direct product for our members, which put us in competition with distributors and wholesalers. Goodness knows how many people. But nevertheless, we were buying at a price which uh, our members enjoyed and they tended to use us. And as I remember right now, I think at the time I left, we, we were selling something like half a million pounds worth of torch batteries a year.
0: So they tended to be accessories rather than whole goods, which, of course, uh, there was always talk within BAGMA, particularly when B&Q became active in the 1990s and all the big box stores started up, Um, should we combine our buying power and become a buying group? And uh, I think they meant whole goods rather than batteries and so on. Um, How serious do you think that discussion ever got to?
1: (laughs) Well, I wasn't party to that at all. I did, during my time, uh, wrestle with the prospect of becoming a uh, garden tractor importer fostered by a, a, a one-time dealer from Evesham. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that, that was never going to work, but we had a look at it from uh, our point of view and the commercial point of view, as far as uh, British Hardware Federation was concerned, and, uh, and decided, no, that wasn't where, where we were going. Right. But what you might call the accessories and the um, the nuts and bolts of the industry, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we we were doing good business on that, and of course <laughs> it persuaded the manufacturers to advertise in our magazine, which was rather nice, wasn't it? <laughs> yes,
0: and um, can trade associations sort of do a an honest job on promoting their members as a cut above? Non-members. I'm just thinking that Bagma, for many years, had at the symbol of service a gear wheel, which they were they encouraged uh, their members to put in their window, and this uh, it was uh, thought would add to their individual service. Now we've got things like Trust Pilot and and everything else, which probably does its job. Um, but is there ever a case for uh, trade associations uh, promoting itself as um, an added benefit of buying from a retailer?
1: Yes, we had several attempts at that. And certainly um, I, I am very well aware there are a lot of people, a lot of companies who joined Bangma, uh, and indeed and BHF just to get the symbol in the window. That's what they wanted. They, they, they'd have paid just for the symbol. Uh, in fact, we, we, we did it one time, think of selling symbols that you could stick in the window, but we gave them away instead. No, the, 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 the big plus was um, to be recognised, to have some status and to uh, have people feel confident in dealing with a specialist dealer. And I think we were probably all still suffering from post-war years when virtually anybody sold anything. And sometimes it was a bit hooky, but uh, no, we, we, we were growing up beyond the life of the blacksmith and the um, the jobbing dealer. And at the time, and certainly during my time, we had an attempt to produce a code of practice for both agricultural dealers and machinery dealers. Ah, I remember it well. Um, It caused quite a lot of difficulty, and I'm not sure whether we got it wrong, whether the idea was never going to be right. But we spent more time fiddling about with this than ever we did trying to promote it which was a pity, really, because there was nothing wrong with having an ideology in terms of what a good dealer does for a reliable customer.
0: So, obviously, trade associations have changed. And I think one of the changes that you will have seen probably starting to happen during your days was the amount of time that small businesses particularly can give to association business um again some many years ago it was uh, it was part of their responsibility to support their trade association in person um, and do what they could had help do to help the industry as a whole Uh, but today it's increasingly difficult to get people to um, really participate on committees zoom of course makes it easier is that, is, that a, is that an advantage um, that the, a trade association can obviously take soundings and then based on those soundings move forward or do you always need the input of uh,
1: people with quite uh, strong convictions and ideas? I think the lifeblood of a trade association is to have ideas. They will often differ. The difficulty is finding a solution when people stood on opposite sides of the table. But by and large, the common sense that's available in family businesses is sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we found was that getting together and talking resolved more more arguments than ever it created. Now, there were inevitably, in a diverse organisation like ours, um, people with very strong views. (laughs) My father's name's over the door. I'm not changing for this. I won't have that. It's always been blue or it's always been yellow. Whatever it was, getting together and talking about it made a lot of difference. Now, I firmly believe and I, I interrupted you a minute ago because I thought I can't believe this man is talking to me on Zoom and asking whether there's a place for it. Of course, there's a place for Zoom. I think a lot of our committee meetings would have been just as successful if they were held on the Zoom format. After all, it, 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 it is easy and quick and cheap. You don't have a lot of travelling expense. And you'd probably get more people attend than you would on a local branch meeting, which, heavens above, you and I attended lots of those. And I I, I seriously think that um, we'd have been better off with Zoom if we'd had that 40 years ago. However, I totally agree. I, I don't think there's much substitute for actually speaking face to face, because there are one or two things that Zoom doesn't quite carry. And that was... Um, going after the meeting, having a drink in the bar, and say, well, of course, you know he was talking rubbish and uh, he doesn't even believe it himself, you know. And those sort of conversations really painted the real picture. And I think sometimes um, some of our most lively characters, not necessarily members of council or presidents, but often those um, local figureheads who play such an important part in a community who who, uh, had family businesses which had run for 100 years, many of them, and uh, didn't really want to change and become part of anything. They wanted to stand proud of their own, but they were quick to learn that there were other advantages that they hadn't heard about that somebody pioneered in Yorkshire or down in Devon. And when they got together and they found that there was a symbiosis between people of the similar interest... They, they really did find ways of improving their own lot. And yes. that's what I believe BAGMA type of membership was all about. None of them had to go home and find out what the corporate message was. They took it with them.
0: Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. If we'd had Zoom... Uh, 10, 15 years ago, um, and it's and it's proved in, invaluable. But uh, but before Zoom came on, I think it was an issue of getting people involved and getting people together, and, and was becoming increasingly difficult. But uh, now, you know, it's 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 doing its job.
1: So I don't think we had any problems in recruiting people for the positions that we had. We had a legal and parliamentary affairs committee, and there were a queue of people wanting to join that. There were people on garden machinery, on agricultural machinery, on the marketing side of the business. And we always had input from people. And, of course, we always had access to our members who were never far away from what we were doing anyway because we kept them informed.
0: So the the main reason for joining a trade association 20, 30, 40 years ago um, when you were actively involved were the services that the association provided What do you think the reasons are today? Are the
1: reasons still the same, Jonathan? Sure, yeah. No, I I think there's an economy of scale um, in in, in retaining for Bagner um, a service which on their own would be probably much more expensive for an individual firm. And the advice that we had through people um, who who, who offered us uh, uh, advice about personnel matters was usually instant, rarely in writing until it was necessarily confirmed, but always there to reassure somebody that they were doing the right thing. And it cost them nothing more than a telephone call to ask one of our colleagues if they were doing the right thing or if there was something else they could do to get out of a mess. And that's the sort of thing you do in a big PLC operation. You go to the personnel department and say, Oh, Fred's just given two fingers to one of my customers, and I'm not sure whether sacking him is the right thing to do. So um, an
0: HR department, as they, they would say now, it w- was always at their fingertips. Absolutely. For a very modest yearly sum. And a bank
1: manager. And no, the
0: bank there man. was
1: nothing. That that at The annual sum was the subscription.
0: Yes, that's what I mean.
1: Yes. You didn't pay extra for the... No, no, service. no. And, and so today,
0: presumably, that their role is still to represent an industry in a way that um, would um, be impossible with individual dealers and so on because if a government department wanted to uh, uh, consult on a particular industry issue, it has to go to a trade association and, uh, and presumably that is their uh, reason raison d'etre.
1: Yes, but of course, you know, government like trade associations. They enjoy coming to us. They don't want to talk to a thousand dealers. They'd rather talk to one who represented them all uh, but you can't take that message too far. If you do, what you might say is that the AEA and Bagma, Byra, whoever else, all should join the retail, the um, the, no, the, no, the CBI, and the government only has to go there. Yeah, you know, get one view. Well, you know that that that's not accepting the prospect that Bagma doesn't always agree with the AEA. Now. That sounds as though it's um, relating to perhaps a dispute which was never resolved. I think every dispute we ever had was resolved, probably by compromise, because that's how you do change things and go forward. You have to find a way in which whatever is being suggested can can accommodate those who don't agree with it. And if you're wrong, you'd never find an answer. If you're right, you find that compromise which makes enough sense to be able to proceed. And I think that's what AEA and BAGMA always did during my time, and I hope, and I certainly do believe it's possible, that AEA and BAGMA can work together. I I, I did blanch at the prospect that BAGMA had a boss at um, the AEA, and I don't think that's right. If, if it's a mutual partnership and Bagner are in there as tenants, then I believe that their tenancy will provide them with comfort and all the services that are necessary to run the business, but they won't be in charge of the policy uh, they will have mutual policy interests.
0: And presumably that was one of your reasons for setting up the sectional interests within the BHF for cookshops and pet shops, because all of those industries have specific problems which can't be addressed by, maybe couldn't be addressed by the British Hardware
1: Federation itself. Was that correct? No, no, it's not correct. It's um, it's missing the major point, which was that most of them wanted not to be identified as ironmongers or even modernly as hardware merchants. They wanted to be identified as cookshops and they want to be promoted as cookshops. So the identity and the status was more important than the services which we provided. Interesting. The service we provide to a retailer is pretty much the same in what I would call the, the overall view of hardware.
0: Now, interesting. Um, you had quite a lot um, of involvement in international matters um, through the Confederation uh, branching into Europe. W- were all the issues that they faced uh, fairly similar to that that we faced in the UK?
1: The organisation which um, I finished working with um, more recently than, than Bergman was, of course, the International Hardware and Housewares Association. IHA was uh, one of the former mem- founder members of CLIMA, which is a pan-European mm-hmm. uh, agricultural dealer trade organisation. It, it, it used to meet occasionally with the equivalent manufacturers organisation, SEMA, And of course, that, that is where mainly legislative matters were discussed and uh, arguments were developed. Um, the problems for agricultural dealers in Britain were not very different from agricultural dealers anywhere else in the world. Apart from meeting at Clima, I used to meet regularly with uh, the agricultural dealer organisation in the United States and Canada, and, uh, and through the International Federation, uh, indeed with China and, uh, and agric- uh, agriculture in Australia and New Zealand. You know, the, the, the commonalities are there. The, the, there are things which hold us apart, and some are very different. But uh, within the European Union, the, the, there was not much different between Germany, France, Italy, Spain, or ourselves.
0: Well, look, that's that's been absolutely fascinating, Jonathan. I really, well, it's great to catch up, and it, uh, thank you ever so much. And uh, and really, in, in finally. Do you see this uh, union uh, working uh, effectively? And uh, obviously it's very early days and there's presumably quite a lot to be sorted out still. But but you're hopeful of the future for it as an industry representation
1: vehicle? Yes, yes. I, I certainly think that, that there is enough in common to, to, to save a certain expenditure here and there, which will help. And I think there is a table that says... This is a place where we both can meet. It worries me that there will be one man in charge of it all the time, or one woman, or one president. Uh, and I think that there ought to be a meeting of minds, rather, rather, a sort of G7, rather, rather than um, a takeover that says Bagner is now owned by the AEA. That yes. If that's true, if, if, is it actually owned by um, the AEA now?
0: Well, that's what the press release says. So Okay.
1: Well, if they own it, they can do what they like with it, can't they? Presumably. That that, that would be a disaster. If, on the other hand, there are two organisations with a common purpose and some light and dark shades to both of them, then I think bon voyage. I hope you enjoy it. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it's just a question of how, you, how they are going to make it work. I wish them well. <laughs> well, on that note... Jonathan, thanks ever so much indeed.
0: Great to catch up. Lovely to see you too. My, that was fascinating. And although much water has flown under the bridge since Jonathan's involvement, all the issues were there then as they are now. Contracts, warranty, codes of practice, and the fact that George jaw is always better than War War. Now this deal, it might not be as seismic as, say, the CBI buying the two U.C., but Jonathan's view on there being parity between the two organisations surely is a very valid one. I'm Chris Biddle, thanks for joining me, and this is Inside Agriturf.